You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 238. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free with a 14-day trial, head over to squarespace.com lively and use the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of this episode, we'll be speaking with Lively Show listener Melissa Joy about her experience with the service. Now let's move on. Today I am in Ann Arbor and I am fortunate enough today specifically to be speaking to the students at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. I love going there and sharing everything I wish I knew when I was literally sitting in their exact same shoes at their age. So that's something I love doing whenever I'm in town and I'm fortunate enough to get to do that today. And in addition, I'm fortunate enough to get to talk to you as well. I'm doing this through another conversation with Megan Bowers, who you met last week on the show. She's our lively show videographer, vlogographer, if you will. And she also is an incredible wedding videographer and so much more over at pictoryproductions.com. I asked Megan to come on the show and we were going to talk about, I think we're going to talk about the subconscious and we will get there. But what I could not avoid talking about today instead for this episode was why I'm choosing not to wear my glasses or contacts anymore, even though I have a negative four prescription. For those who don't have glasses, you may not know what a negative four is. It's a pretty serious prescription. It's not the worst. I would say like, I've heard of friends that have negative six, seven, or eight, but it's definitely not the best. It's not a light prescription by any means, but after learning what I've learned in the last week, this has been a choice I've made and I would love to share why with you today. Let's go to the show. Hey, girl. How are you? How you doing? <laughs> How you living, girl? I'm living blurry lately. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really excited to talk about today's conversation because normally you give me an outline or an idea of what we're going to talk about, maybe questions, you know, that I could ask you at certain points if certain topics I, I don't have a lot of experience in. But I want to let everyone know, this morning, you sent me a message, and you go, get ready, lady, dot, dot, dot. Today's combo is a doozy, because I'm correcting my eyesight naturally. Yeah. Just a, you know, regular Monday morning or Tuesday morning for you. <laughs> no big deal. Here are the notes. I, with my mind, am correcting my eyesight. Now go. Yeah, that's all you got to go on, so... Well, I figure I can just tell you the story of this and you can ask me questions that you have as you probably will. And other people listening to this will be going, what the what? Jess is going a little crazy and that's okay. Honestly, this all sort of began a few weeks ago. I was in London at this amazing consciousness conference and I watched some amazing people that I truly love learning from. One is a neurologist named Dr. Joe Dispenza, which a lot of people know. He's really popular right now, especially. Then there's Dr. Bruce Lipton. And then there is the geologist or previous, I guess these are all their past and sometimes current professions, but also then we've got Greg Braden. So I saw these amazing guys and Lynn Taggart, who's coming on the Lively Show this fall as well. They all spoke about these incredibly amazing updates in science that a lot of the Newtonian or old world physics and science aren't speaking about. And I was super jazzed about it all. 
loving it. And a lot of it was talking about emotions and frequencies and signals and how the cells of our bodies are activated by it and how that works in our brains and so forth. And you hear a lot of stories as you get into this work about a lot of healing. Now, obviously, not everyone is at this level, but there are people becoming more and more commonly rather than the exception. But I by far, by no means, I'm saying anyone shouldn't get medical advice from someone that they trust and believe in. Because ultimately, I'm actually believing that belief is the most powerful tool of all of the things because the belief then changes your subconscious, which controls all of your systems of your body. So if you think that allopathic or Western medicine is going to work, you better darn use it because your body is going to respond better to that than anything else. But also other alternatives, if the subconscious accepts them, can also change healing and stuff like this, as I was learning at this conference. Now, I don't have cancer and I don't have any major illness besides the PCOS we've all been speaking about so much. So I decided after it, I was like, I believe in all of this stuff. How can I try this in my own life? And I got the idea to focus on my eyesight. So I'm not someone, and I actually think that my work looking at the trajectory of things is not going to be for the people that are going through the crisis or the breakdown. That's not going to be my specialty. I think I'm here to help the person that's doing pretty good already go from pretty good already to incredible. And I know that by doing that, the overflow of those people going from pretty good already to incredible, the impact they're going to be able to have in the world by overflowing all of their abundance and their amazing abilities and everything is going to do a huge ripple effect around the world. So I'm not necessarily trying to go to the lowest common denominator and help the worst case scenario. And what I find interesting is, since I don't have any of those like stage four lymphoma situations in myself, that it's eyesight, but using the same principles beliefs, I believe, that have a lot to do with those other types of illnesses in some ways at the fundamental quantum level, I think that by doing this, I'm not only showing myself, but maybe potentially others as well, that we can do far more and it doesn't have to be so dramatic or drastic as you're often hearing about. So it's a really long answer to why I decided to fix my sight by myself. Girl, modern medicine is going to come at you hard. (laughs) It's a very strongly held belief that the eye does not regenerate and that the eye is not something that can be, quote unquote, healed. And a lot of optometrists do not believe in this. And I didn't even know what I was walking into a week ago when I got this idea to look into it. I just literally said to myself, I wonder if it's possible. I believe in these principles. I want to know more. So I bought a book and the book was... Take Off Your Glasses and See by Dr. Jacob Lieberman. And he was an optometrist himself. And that brought me down the wormhole that I have gone down in the last week, learning about sight from his perspective as a classically trained optometrist who later regained his own sight naturally and then helped hundreds or thousands of people since then do the same. So what was so interesting is that at the same time as I started reading this, I had these moments of like almost crying and like really emotional, poignant moments, realizing a lot of the other things that surfaced at that conference for myself that were desires that I wanted to access for myself were directly linked to my eyesight. So it was kind of a flow manifestation, if you will, because these other things I wanted to change or improve about myself as I was reading this book about sight were directly influenced by my inability to see. So had I been trying to, and I have actually been working on the other things in my life before, but I didn't even know, this is like such a fluke, but I don't even think I'm even at a level now where things are flukes in my life anymore. 
I thought they were two separate subjects and they actually are the same. So now I'm like, what the what? Like my flow is so serious right now that totally disparate subjects are now merging into being the exact same path. So wait, can you give us some examples? Yes. So here's what happened. Actually, this is a whole nother tangent, but (laughs) it's going to explain the emotional component of the site thing for me. So while I was at the conference, Lynn McTaggart spoke about her new book, The Power of Eight, which we'll be speaking about on the show, as I mentioned earlier. And at the conference, she is talking about the power of intention, which is another thing with her intention experiments she's been running with groups of people basically holding a single intention. Maybe it's like a healing for someone in a group of eight or hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people holding peace intentions for certain areas in the world and seeing and documenting the results of those intentions being held for war-torn areas of the world. And it was incredible to hear. So she, in the conference, at, at her end of her speech, wanted everybody as groups in the room to try this healing intention experiment for people in the group. So she put us in groups of eight, and they asked each person in the group, if you had something you wanted to heal, to mention it to the group. So this actually does get back to sight, I promise, but let me just do this little tangent because it gets to part of what I think for myself and maybe others that have glasses or contacts right now themselves may be able to relate to, maybe not, I'm not sure, but I think it's an important piece for my journey as I talk about this at this stage of the journey one week in. So I was sitting there thinking, all right, so this PCOS no period or very like sporadic period thing you guys have heard me talk a lot about, I've gotten two great regular periods with RTT. So I thought I was kind of fixed, if you will. But then I skipped a month and I didn't get one. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. But in this eight person group, I decided, well, what the heck? I heard that she said, those that hold the intention for the person they're trying to heal for are often more helped than the person being healed. So I knew that even by suggesting my PCOS or trying to get a regular period, I was like, what the heck? If it can help become even more regular, I'm all for it. And knowing that all the rest of the people in the group would be even more helped because they were helping me. Since I meditate so much, I wasn't like, you know, I guess if I was the most selfish, ironically, I'd want to have an intention for someone else in the group because I would be helped more by holding the intention for them. But in this case, I was just like, what the heck? No one else had anything they wanted to work on. And all of a sudden, two things happened. One, I had to sit there and receive this goodwill that they gave me for the next five, 10 minutes. But also the woman sitting next to me in this group of five or 600 people, the woman sitting next to me, as I say this to the group, And they're all trying to form the intention we're going to hold. Like I get a period every 28 days or whatever. You know, I was thinking about like, Jess needs to bleed every month, basically. (laughs) It was like what I was trying to, because that's what I've been told from this entire journey. Every single person has told me I need to bleed every month. And if I'm not doing it, something's wrong. So she looked at me and she goes, do you meditate a lot? And I said, yeah, I'm not obsessive, but yes, I do. And she looked at me, she's like, I think you don't need to have your period every month. I think that you have this thing that's called sexual incontinence or sex transmutation. And if you look it up, you can Google this, guys. There's not a ton on it, but there are some articles out there that talk about women that when they do that, which I didn't even know was a thing, um, can often skip periods but still be fertile. So she was trying to change our intention to just being like fertile and having a good hormone balance, but that I didn't have to be tied to like bleeding every month as I was like, no. And actually I was so annoyed because I rejected the idea. I was like, no, I've got an entire like two years on this. I want to bleed. I want to bleed. Purely, be- never have I ever felt out of balance. Never have I ever felt anything was off. But you know, it's truly I was believing the story I've been told by everyone in my life. So I kind of tried to reject her thing. But we did adapt her 
intention to the intention I had. So just to be fertile and good hormones, but without necessarily having the period. So that's a side story and an interesting tangent to maybe I haven't actually needed to have a period this whole time. And I don't think I've always been hormonally balanced by any means, especially with the acne. But at this point, I actually do feel really great and I don't have any symptoms and I did just get another period. But I just don't think I'm going to need them every month. And I don't think that's actually negative. I'd love to get a doctor's test to actually test the hormones. But that's aside. The whole other point then of this that goes back to sight is that this group of eight people sat for about 10 minutes directing all of these goodwill and intentions towards me. And I was supposed to sit there receiving their good intentions, okay? So just sit there and receive the good love that they're sending your way. So as I did it, I sat there thinking and trying to be in my heart and trying to receive it, but I was very much still in my head. And after the end of the session happened, they all asked, so how did it feel to receive all of our good feelings? And they all looked at me with these like puppy dog eyes, like super excited, you know, they're like crying, they're so... They're like so happy and and just loving and feeling so emotional. And I'm sitting there telling them what I thought as it happened. And they kept saying, wait, what are you feeling? What, what did you feel? And I kept telling them what I was thinking and what I was thinking. So the woman, of course, the woman sitting next to me that I'm already annoyed at because she's already trying to get me not to bleed. And I was so annoyed at that time. She's like, well, you're not in your heart enough, Jess. You're not in your heart enough. And you're just in your head. And so I was like, well, this is not the first time Jess Lively has ever heard that by any means. Huge shocker. My dad, if he was on the show, be like, <laughs> Jess overthinks things. He said it since I was like six, six years old, probably, to the point where I think it's a little bit redundant, but point taken. So anyways, I leave this conference feeling, one, eyes open to maybe I don't have to bleed every month. That was fascinating. But also, I would love to feel more, you know, to be less thinking. And then as a side tangent, I said, well, why don't I heal myself in some way? Let's work on the eyesight. So as I pick up this book about take off your glasses and see, he's talking about literally, I kid you not, in the first few chapters about the reasons people he believes stop seeing clearly and has once you've stopped seeing clearly because you don't want to deal with emotions when you're young that or whenever you need the glasses, then you get glasses and they put you into this prescription to quote unquote fix your eyesight. But it's think of it like a brace where it permanently immobilizes you to the level that you've already permanently immobilized yourself emotionally. So your eyes as an extension of your brain, are focused in kind of what almost sounds like a left brain capacity, the capacity to see clearly one thing at a time in a very focused and analytical way, but it loses your capacity to see in the holistic, peripheral, and depth perception context of the whole and the emotion that comes with what you would consider typically the right brain capacities of our brain. So this is not to say that the eyesight is directly related to left brain, right brain, but just the functions of our sight, the ability to focus on one thing and be kind of analytical about that one thing is kind of sounding left brain to me. And the idea of taking in the entire context, depth, perception, and emotion of a thing is pretty right brain to me. But the lenses we put on our eyes then keep our eye focus completely in that left brain focus for every object that we perceive. And I've had glasses since I was sixth grade. So I literally have not just potentially subconsciously from a young age avoided emotion or feeling, 
but also have then been for the last 20 years sitting in lenses that won't even really help me or allow me to feel in the ways that I want to because my brain still, every day I'm wearing contacts, especially especially contacts because your everything's always in focus because the center focus of your pupil is there. So no matter where you move your eyes, you're always in focus. You're never seeing the peripheral like general other way of seeing. I was like stuck, not able to do it. So how magical is that little scenario to all play out all at the same time and then to realize, oh, maybe it's not quote unquote my fault so much as like, it's also that I've been in a pattern totally unconsciously from the sight thing to not be able to do what I wanted to do emotionally all along. I started making notes and then I'm just like, they're like in the garbage now. I'm not even going to try to like bring them back up. (laughs) What is your thought now? Thanks for listening to that giant diatribe. What are your thoughts on all of that? First of all, let's just, everyone that's listening, take a deep breath. What do you think people are thinking right now? I just told you the story, so it's just my truth. How are you feeling right now? Confused, but excited. So let's do like a Cliff Notes version of what just happened here. Okay. Let's retrace our steps. Where have we gone? So as a kid, you know, you started losing your eyesight and, and I have glasses too. I've been blind since I was a kid as well. We've placed a brace on our eyes. Yeah, let me like clarify that a little stronger. So this is directly from what I learned from Take Off Your Glasses and See. So this is not from any optometrist besides Jacob Lieberman and is not to, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of optometrists right now that are going to hate what I'm saying because I don't think that Jacob Lieberman is also or William H. Bates, who's a guy from like 100 years ago that was healing a lot of eyesight that I know Jacob references a lot. And anyone that does try to naturally heal their eyesight definitely likes to go back to William H. Bates. And I'm sure optometrists that don't believe in this, like really don't like Bates. So it's interesting. But Jacob Lieberman's assertion or, or premise here is that when we're young, we don't want to deal with certain emotions that we have to experience from things that come up in our life. And we don't know how to deal with it. So he kind of said one of two things happens from a young age. He also talked briefly, but the briefest of briefest mentions of like the old age, losing your reading sight later. But I'm not even going to get into that because he did it so briefly. And I'm more interested, I think, right now in this. You go read the book if you want the other part. But for nearsightedness, which I am and you are as well, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm a negative four for anyone that's curious in terms of contacts. So pretty strong prescription. No joke. I mean, eight or six is obviously worse than negative four, but negative four is pretty bad. And if you have a normal eyesight and you put on my glasses, you're going to want to throw up. So <laughs> I can say that it's definitely a strong prescription, but not the strongest you possibly could have. But when you're young, he says, usually you're not born with terrible eyesight. I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but usually it's something that develops in your younger years or later. It depends, whatever happens. But when it does, usually he says there's something emotional going on that you didn't want to look at or didn't want to deal with or know how to deal with. So you stopped looking at it. And in the case of nearsightedness, he said there's a lot of predominance of fear. So I started racking my brain. I was like, I didn't even remember what year exactly I got my glasses. I'm presuming it was sixth or seventh grade because I remember having contacts. I was allowed to put in seventh grade basketball practices, but I had glasses during the day. So I remember at least by then, and my mom and I don't think I had them in elementary school. So I'm guessing it happened then. So around the year or two of that type of uh, time you got your glasses, reflect back on what emotionally was going on for you at that time. Apparently, the nearsighted people tended to want to block out because it felt scary or uncertain, the future or the things that were going on around them. So they blocked out what they didn't want to see. 
And the far-sighted people, the people that can see very far clearly but can't read close up, those people tended, he said, and this is this is me quoting him, I'm not saying this true for everyone, but he said that the people that are far-sighted were instead of more fearfully based, like the nearsighted, it was more, they tended to have more rage or more like vigilance. So they kind of were in denial or blocking what was going on in their immediate surroundings, but they wanted to make sure that they could perceive threats. So they wanted to be able to see clearly afar to protect themselves. It was kind of a protect mechanism. And they were kind of in denial of what was actually going on closest to them. Does that make sense, the difference between the two? Yes. This is interesting. That's when he said it would develop. Also, there's a huge tie, he said, to education and nearsightedness, myopia, which is like you and I, where we can read well, but like anything far away is blurry. That is hugely increased in cultures when reading and living indoors and education happens. So your eyes can also cramp when they're focused in that flat, like single focused mentality that our lenses ironically then keep us trapped in once they put us in lenses. So your eyes can cramp and that's why people, if they have like blurry vision as they're doing computer work or screen work and stuff, you gotta relax the eyes because your eyes are actually made to see far. They're not made to see up close in like unnatural lighting and all those sorts of things. So I also read a ton growing up, so it could have been a part of that. But also you could say that maybe I was even, along with the reading a lot, escaping situations I didn't want to deal with emotionally by reading a lot. So it could have been a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm not going to share personal situations that were going on at that time, because obviously they involve other people in my life that are not public figures. So I'm not going to be going into dirty laundry of like what emotionally I was possibly escaping. But I'll just say I have some ideas. And those things are things that ultimately in a positive way kind of have led me to the work I do here. Like why I do the work I do isn't a lot because of experiences I've had. Does that explain this whole emotional connection to eyesight? That is fascinating. I was a pale indoor kid. And even to touch on that, so I got my glasses in fourth grade. And actually, I started getting like bullied and picked on at the end of third grade. Oh, yeah. I just got some goosebumps. That is like the exact type of situation you could trigger it. That's all I'm saying. I actually just talked to a friend recently who's been on the show and she was like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, nothing. Just heal my eyesight. <laughs> and she's a negative seven eyesight. And she said she remembers almost overnight needing glasses after a boy when she was really young, wanted to kiss her on a slide. Something, I mean, obviously as a child, it's pretty innocent, but terrified her as a child. And she didn't want to deal with that and needed glasses super quickly after that. And she has always like triggered, believe that that has triggered her negative prescription. And then obviously, once you get in the lenses, so the one thing about this way of looking at optometry is like, think of it as like an ACL. So if you tear your ACL and then they put a brace on you and they're like, okay, wear crutches and brace for the rest of your life. Are you going to deal with that? And like accept that as like a, okay, I'm just going to wear crutches forever. You'd be like, no, I want to do rehabilitation. I want to get better at this. The eyes are like one of those weird things we never question. We're just like, oh, and we're like, I have bad eyes. You know what I did? I spent the first few nights at night recalling anything I could remember where I saw clearly before seventh grade. I was like, I went to the Benjamin Islands, these granite islands in the middle of nowhere in Canada. And we went with our family. I have a photo of me almost like it looks like I'm going to fall off a ledge. Of course, I didn't. But it just like scared my dad half to death when I was with my family friend who's an adult there, you know, so we wanted to scare my dad by showing him how scary it looked. But it wasn't, you know, but I was totally fine hiking that granite mountain with no civilization in 
say like nothing bad happened. I saw fine. So I kept reminding myself of all of these times in my life where I saw fine. So how did I suddenly, if I always had bad eyes, how did I see fine? And then I stopped seeing fine right? And then why is it often that your prescription gets worse? They said that was the other mind-bending thing about if this is medicine, why is it that eyes get worse? They don't get better. If the medicine's supposed to be helping, why doesn't it help? Yes. Okay. So I'm all in. All right. I'm no longer confused and excited. I'm all in. So you're no longer confused. Okay. So this has been, to me, I just kept finishing the book. And what I ended up doing is the first night, I mean, I'm someone who had glasses, but then got those contacts. And as soon as I could put them in every day, I never really wore the glasses. And I would put them on at night after contacts were out, but I would only ever have no lenses or prescription on for a few seconds at a time. Or maybe at night, if I went to the bathroom, I would not put them on. But that was the only time since I was seventh grade, I didn't have a prescription on. And that first night I started trying to not wear anything. And it was bizarre. And I was in New York as I was doing this. So funny that I decided to start doing this there. Then I put the context in the next morning and again, continued to read that book as much as humanly possible and fast as quickly as possible. And then I went for a few hours, I had breakfast. I got this weird orange blob of goop on my white jeans. So I went back to the hotel and I took the contacts out at that point. It's like 10 a.m. last Monday. And this is, we're recording this Monday afternoon, a week later. So I have not put glasses or contacts on since then. I've put the glasses on one time to read a menu board that was like I couldn't read. It was a craft paper with white text and it wasn't a very bright space. So that was hard. And otherwise, I have flown multi-states. I have packed. I have done work. I have recorded a podcast. I have gone on two 10-mile walks. I have done everything without the glasses on. Wait. So you just took the glasses off and are you doing anything on top of that? Yeah. Okay. So what are you doing on top of that? So basically I couldn't unknow. Once I knew, once I read that book, it was for me a deep insight into the eyesight connection to all of the other subconscious and quantum stuff I've been reading for the last year, right? So if someone has not been doing the deep dive into this stuff or is not at the frequency or interest level of this stuff, reads it, they may not have the same reaction. Of course, me, Law of Attraction, finds the exact book that has the exact perspective and the exact referencing to everything that I already, you know, I'm connected to. But once I saw it, I couldn't unknow it and I couldn't go back. It was, I said it to a friend, it was kind of like someone that watches one of those movies about like mass farming and like how veal or foie gras is made and they just are a vegetarian and they can't ever eat it again. It was for me, reading this book about eyesight was the same. Now, obviously it's not the same situation. I just saw that I was the one that put myself into that eye prison. I was the one that had avoided emotions and created a subconscious protection mechanism that protected me from my emotions At the time, it tried to do, my subconscious tried to do something it thought would help me. But I deeply believe, since I saw clearly all of those years beforehand, I believe that my subconscious is creating the blur and that it will restore itself. I don't know how and when or why, but I will say there's two things I'm doing. One is I'm not doing exercises trying to make my muscles stronger because he says that it's actually kind of the opposite of that. You actually are already overly focused, so you don't want to overly focus and get your eyes into even more of a strain. You don't want to squint too. So like 
I can tell you that I can see days later if I squint even clearer than I ever could squinting before. But that I know is not the solution. That's more straining of your eyes. You actually have to do the open focus, which he talks a lot about is open focus. And the thing that has been working, though, to help, though, that's not squinting or eye muscle exercises is sunning and palming. So sunning is, I didn't even know this, and this is going to go counter to what a lot of optometrists might tell you about UV rays and stuff. Now, I'm not trying to look directly in the sun, okay? But you sit in sunny weather when the sun is shining. You sit your stand. Do whatever you can. Just face the sun with your eyes closed, eyes closed, and you just roll your head gently back and forth, up and down, letting the sun hit your eyelids. Apparently hitting your eyelids still helps them get into your eyes, I guess, in some way. But the sun is apparently supposed to help. And I can tell you by doing that, and then palming is very simple. Rub your hands together, your palms together, and then put them over your eyes, kind of cupped them over your eyes so you can't see. So once you've sunned for a few minutes, then put your eye hands over your eyes, and let your eyes adjust to the darkness after all the bright light, you know, from the sun. And then slowly open your eyes still with the cupped hands. Let them adjust to that, like open focus in the void, as they call it, and then take them off. Outside on these walks I've been doing the last few days, taking the sun in through the eyelids and then doing the palming and then walking around, I have found, as Jacob Lieberman said, that your eyesight varies depending on so many factors. But I can tell you that... Being in direct sunlight in a bright day, I can see so much more than I can inside. Or I also have realized in the last few days as I've gotten to see some real big gains when I'm outside in the sun and walking, I can see plants the most clearly. And I have to look at them as 3D objects instead of flattened images because the lenses made everything to me very crisp and outlined, but almost like everything's got an outline and everything's like almost two-dimensional. So as I've started to like learn how to see things from a mass perspective and not expect them to have crisp, sharp lines like I used to see before with the lenses, I'm starting to see clearer and I'm starting to see depth and I'm starting to see much more in a different way. It's also blurrier, but I'm also then able to see text better. I'm also able to see depth better. I'm also able to see the outlines better. So sunning and palming are the two things. And I've tried a little bit of this focus thing where you put a finger in front and you like focus on an item behind and then in front with the eye and you alternate. But really, I am actually doing what Joe Dispenza says, which is you focus on having a more magical outcome than a manual one. So I'm not trying to do like, think of it as like a bicep muscle. I'm not trying to get big biceps by lifting weights. I'm actually waiting for the eyesight to sort of seemingly magically reappear as I focus on the beliefs that I can see, telling my subconscious and allowing it to believe that it can and it's safe to do it, accessing the emotions and doing the sunning because I really have noticed a difference with the sunning. And when you first started, were you feeling nauseous or did you ever get headaches? That's interesting you say that. Uh, Almost every person I've spoken to about this have asked me about headaches. I don't ever have any associations with headaches. Why do people ask me about headaches all the time? Like, why is that a thing you asked about? Yeah, because if I take my glasses off or if I forget my glasses and I don't have them on, I'll start to get headaches. Well, here's a question. Are you squinting as you're looking around while you're getting the headache? That's something I am not sure. I mean, I might be and just not knowing it. But I know that sometimes or because things are blurry, I kind of have and I don't know if if it's like a cause and effect thing. So 
my stomach always like kicks up and gets nauseous because my eyes are only blurry if I've had too much wine. So <laughs> sometimes, yeah, if I go, I'll get a little nauseous or get a headache. But you haven't. No, not at all. I don't squint either. And I never had any association with headaches in this. So I don't even have a subconscious belief that I will. But I don't know if other people are getting that or not. I did remember reading in the book that one woman had headaches and she stopped getting them as she stopped wearing them. So I can speak to that person's anecdote in the book. Another anecdote that really hit me in the book was someone that went to Jacob's workshops and said that he noticed the people having the biggest gains from eyesight improvement were those that dealt with the emotional issues. So he said that the emotional people, the people that dealt with the emotions were the ones that saw clearest. What I will also say as I've done this now is noticed how my eyes initially in the first few days especially wanted to strain to see far and also were kind of afraid. I realized I kind of had this subtle, almost subconscious fear of looking beyond what like the three foot, maybe two foot radius that I can see clearly. So looking 200 feet away, and they did encourage you to start looking at horizons and far things, but it was almost like my eyes wanted to water or cry, like looking far away. That was like a very subtle thing I noticed. And I just had to start training myself. I don't know if it was going to cry because it was straining. I don't know if it was because I wasn't going to be able to see and it was going to be blurry and I knew it was or what. But there was definitely this really interesting, uncomfortable feeling about looking to the farthest point of a room or the farthest point I could see. And now that has dramatically reduced. But I'll tell you still, I've seen so many limiting beliefs around my eyesight of like, I can't do that if I can't see. I can't do that if I can't see. I can't do that if I can't see. And I've started to really pull down those barriers and do them all. The only thing I would still have glasses for if I needed to would be driving. But that's the only thing I can tell you right now. I have flown across the country. I stayed for three or four days in New York City, walking in New York City. I'll tell you, a taxi is loud and yellow. You're not going to get hit by a car. Like a biker might be a little trickier, but I could still see a biker. You also have so many more senses. And because I live 32 years of my life seeing the outlines of everything crisply, I know what a plate looks like. Even if it's blurry, I could see that those are plates up on that stack where I can still understand things without seeing them in the high def. 2020. Also, did you know, this is so interesting too, 2020, do you know where that came from? No. Some dude invented the eye chart and he said, his assistant had good eyesight. He's like, Earl, you got good eyesight. Come over here. And he said, what can you read? 20 feet away. This is what Earl or whoever the guy's name was could see. And that's how they developed 2020. That's it? That's it. Earl, or whatever his name was, had some good eyesight. His, the optometrist was like, this man has eyesight everyone should be able to see with. That is it. That's how arbitrary that was to be set as a standard. Isn't that interesting? You're like, oh my gosh, if I don't see 2020, there's something wrong in my world. No, you're not a fighter pilot. Like this is Earl or whatever his name was. And this is how he could see. And that's become the standard. Everybody's lenses have been measured too. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I would love to see 2020. Trust me, I want Earl's eyesight myself. I would love to see like Earl. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying that it's that arbitrary when we think as people that are you know, in this belief system, we have to understand the belief system, right? That it, we believe that eyes can't get improved, though people have done that. Also, he also pointed out our, our sight does change in different situations. Like I can tell you for sure I see better outside in sun than I do inside in the dark or in like dim light. Also, I can see live objects better than I can static man-made objects or flat objects or harder. 
So it's so interesting. And I'll also notice all of the anxiety coming up. Like I can't launch a class while I'm I'm not seeing clearly or I can't answer emails. This is so funny. I'm buying two rental homes right now in Detroit and like I can't buy houses if I can't. I, I totally can. Like why do I need like it's totally fine. There's just so many things. I, th- I can't walk 10 miles if I can't see clearly. I totally am fine. Like actually in doing those long walks, that's where I've seen the most. So I wish it was like a one switch wonder. And I hope that I have some kind of experience like Jacob Lieberman did end up having this moment that kind of dramatically transformed his eyesight pretty permanently a few different times. But I haven't had that magical thing yet, but I've had dramatic improvements that haven't stayed stable because the circumstances haven't. But he also talks a lot about recognizing and processing your emotions to keep your eyesight open, strong and stable. Yeah. So what have you done to kind of course correct your mind when you start coming from a place of lack and the fear kicks in? Actually, this is kind of interesting. And I think it will touch on this to a degree. But I started running like a a series of notes for myself on my phone as I was going through this this week of thoughts that I had about sight. Do you want me to read some of them? Yeah, I do. Some of them might kind of touch on what you just asked. Okay, so I'm all about the brain waves, as I understand the difference between consciousness and subconscious. And really, the difference is the state of brain waves that you're in. The subconscious is just slower brain waves, and also probably gamma might also be connected to subconscious. I'm not sure about gamma, but gamma is super high, higher than anxiety brain waves. So it's really good, but you have to go through like the beta. Beta is your everyday talk. We're talking in beta right now. If you get anxious about something, you're in high beta. So once you supersede that, you go into gamma, but that's not you're not anxious anymore that's like elevated to a next level so i wrote down i wonder if high beta hits whenever i look far away and i see the blur and i started freaking out kind of and the eyes started watering i started wondering does my brain have a fear anxiety around those things and is my brain hitting those high beta waves which aren't good there's not coherence there so i thought about that i also said i wonder if when i focus in the relaxed state that he's trying to get us to do with open focus if that slows the brain waves down to a more alpha or theta brain wave i wonder if that has something to do with the benefits or the relaxing and then the openness that's where the subconscious actually gets accessed is in the alpha theta states we'll do more about the subconscious and stuff soon that was supposed to be this episode today but we're talking about sight instead so i also started wondering if brain waves have any connection to the frequencies of sight or ways that we see. And then if the emotions affect our brain waves, how does that affect the sight? So Megan, here's something interesting. And anyone that's wearing glasses right now, the non-glass wearers, this is gonna be a little strange sounding, but just think about this, especially when you take off your glasses, okay? For anyone wearing glasses right now, think about where does the quote unquote blur live? Because when you don't see far very clearly, it visually looks like the curtain I'm looking at across the room is blurry. But I have to remind myself, the curtain is totally fine and totally not blurry. The blur is in my own eyes. Isn't that trippy if you have glasses and you never think about that? My glasses are off right now. And I'm sure there's other listeners right now that are taking their glasses off. Look around you right now. The blur is not in the objects. They're fine. Your eyes are superseding a blur to them. (sighs) And I've seen like the eye charts where they're like, oh, the eyes, like depending if it's long or short or whatever, like certain frequencies don't hit the back of the retina and this is why it's happening. But like, why did you see fine when you were young? Yeah. If your eye doesn't change, then why is it changing? Wow. And two, and I'm thinking 
maybe the nausea and the headaches people get if they have their glasses off, maybe it's because emotionally they're coming from a place of fear and panic. I didn't want to say that, but I'm glad you pointed that out. Thank you for saying that. Girl, we're in the trust tree. You can say whatever you want to me. <laughs> I mean, it's just thinking about that, right? Because I didn't ever have that subconscious belief, but I can imagine that would make you not want to ever take your glasses off. Because the thing is, when I take my glasses off, I think it's because I get the headaches because I can't see. But it's also when I take my glasses off, it's because I have forgotten them and I can't find my glasses. And then it's like you panic. Yeah. And you're frustrated. And think about all those emotions you don't want to deal with. Put the glasses back on and then I'm fine. Yeah, and then everything's fine. Then we go back into that analytical mode. I will say, by the way, Christmas lights look amazing. So when you can't see, like, go take your glasses off and go look at some Christmas lights. And I promise you, it's like the prettiest bokeh you've ever seen on an Instagram photo ever. So that was actually pretty. It's actually fun to see when life was prettier in the blur. So far, Christmas lights are the major example. Here's a really fun one. I love, I'm obsessed with visualization, which we're going to get into more in the show to come. But I said, wow, this is way easier to focus on my visualizations in ideal life when I can't see the current things like frizz, wrinkles, cellulite, etc. Think about it. You can't see it. Does it even exist? When they say you have to focus on your desired reality more than your current reality, take your glasses off, babe. You can't see any of it anyways. Girl, you look good. <laughs> yeah, I look exactly like I want to look because I can't see what's actually there. <laughs> But then if you really think subconsciously, your brain will accept it easier than looking at reality. Ah, oh, boom. Yeah. Also, this is interesting. When I was little, I learned to walk and I fell many times that I don't remember. And maybe I never even had to learn how to see. But now I get to experience what it feels like to learn as a child does, only as an adult. Whoa. Like I get to learn what it's like to experience a sensory perception as an adult. We don't actually remember this stuff. It happened so young. But I ended up looking this up because I was like, so how much patience should I have? Like I had Tony, our COO, he goes, how long are you going to give this a shot for? <laughs> and I was like, well, it's not like a cleanse. Like <laughs> once I know, I, I mean, I guess I could change this. And this is why I was hesitant to even talk about on the show. It was like a whole 30. Like I didn't want to quit on day 15. And then everybody asked me about how it's going. And then I'd have to claim defeat. But I don't see myself stopping this anytime soon because like I said, if it is emotional and it is, you know, this is other stuff I wanted to deal with anyways. And it's an example for me to show that I really can change my own reality and that all this stuff I'm reading is true. And I'm not doing it because I have cancer or because I'm looking at death's door. I actually have an amazing life, but I really believe in this stuff and I want to see if this is possible too. And if it is, what greater proof for myself of what I can do on my own more than what I've been told, I guess. So I looked it up. Kids take like three to four months, I guess, to see clearly. So I was like, all right, got to at least give myself some time. Like little babies weren't even able to necessarily apparently see that clearly. So yeah. And right now I thought my subconscious is trying to look, but not my subconscious. My subconscious, I think, is still playing an old script that's trying to protect myself with the blur. So this is going to be about changing my subconscious program, not conscious. Oh. That's why you can't focus. It's not like focusing anymore. Your consciousness just wants to focus more. It wants to squint more. It wants to try harder. This isn't about trying harder. This is about letting the subconscious feel safe to deal with emotions and uncertainty and seeing things. So... What's exciting is that this is just happening to you. You do not have a solution or conclusion to this, but are you going to give updates as new things happen? Yes. 
I don't know how many times I'll do it. I think this was like a good first run at this and just telling people where I'm at with it. And it's still an open-ended question at this point. It's a postulation. It's something I have a lot of faith and belief about. And I know that when the faith and belief, and if you actually look up those words, it's so interesting. I looked them up recently because when you read on Kindle, you can click a word and it'll show you the definition from the dictionary. Faith is to have certainty in something which I don't actually think of when I think of faith. I always think of faith as like hope. Like I hope it's going to happen, but it's not. Faith is certainty. And when your subconscious believes something is certain, then it's much more likely to manifest in your life. So what I'm looking to do is get this thought that I believe that I can see. I want to rehearse that so many times in so many ways that it seeps down to my subconscious level as faith that I believe it's true. Because if my subconscious assumes and accepts it as true, then it should alter my reality to reflect the truth that it believes. So if I think I'm fat, my subconscious will find a way to make sure that I'm fat. If I think that I'm thin, my subconscious will find a way to make sure that I'm thin. If I believe I can see, then I believe I can see, or if I can't, I can't. So that's what I'm focusing on now. And sunning, <laughs> lots of sunning, because I do know that's like the one quote unquote manual thing that I'm willing to do that I see a difference in. And patience and dealing with emotion and actually just dealing with the anxiety that comes up when I think, oh, I can't do that if I can't see. And then bashing all of those barriers. I can't pack if I can't see. I can't get ready for the day if I can't see. I can't fly to Michigan if I can't see. I can't walk around New York and not get hit. You're fine. Things are big. And also like text is so huge. Like even in the airport and stuff, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to see the board. I, they printed out a p- take ticket for me. And even if I got real close to the board, I can kind of see it. Or I do bring my glasses with me in case I ever need them, but I really don't. So every time like you do something that before your brain is like, oh, no, I can't do this. And then you do it. I mean, are you just in a constant state of confidence? Well, what ends up happening right now, to be 100% honest, is new stuff comes up that I keep thinking I can't do that. So I think there might be a tipping point maybe that'll happen. Like I'm going to launch Flow with Intention and I'm like, oh my God, I can't run a webinar if I'm blurry or I can't like make the slides for the presentation if it's blurry. Like these are the little thoughts that come up. But then as I do them, I think enough things are going to eventually happen and I'll be like, I can do everything fine. And it's like I said, except for driving. I'm not saying people should go night driving without their glasses on or day driving for that matter. They have to do what's right for them. But at least try, maybe I suggest like take your glasses off for a walk. Go with someone if you feel unsafe so that they make sure no birds hit you or something. But you'll really probably even see that bird coming at you. I still find anxiety to your big point is things today, for example, as I was going into like another work day, it felt a little scary. But then I changed the episode and I was like, well, I don't even have to look at the screen. I'm talking to you and I'm not looking at a screen except for my phone to tell you those notes. So we'll see. So lesson learned, mind the birds and let it flow. Yeah. And I'm like I said, I'm really working on the Joe Dispenza. Focusing on doing the quantum level stuff is not about manually changing things. It's about the kind of almost seemingly magically changing. When I think that's just the subconscious creating the reality. So yeah, I'm really curious to see what happens and excited and just focusing on continuing to believe and focus on the things that give me faith that this is possible because I know that's just about getting that subconscious to really line up with it. And I believe, I keep telling myself, subconscious, you can see this. Like you saw this when you were in sixth grade. Like what was different about sixth grade to now? I don't believe that there's anything other than my subconscious trying to protect me from something. And even if my eye is a little misshapen or whatever, I still saw fine enough like when I was younger. So I'm going for that again. I love it. 
Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep us posted. I'll share more. But I have this feeling, and I don't know if it'll be true because I never thought I'd even talk about it in process. I have this feeling I'll hopefully share when I have like a bigger result. That's what I'm guessing will be the next time I talk about it. And I'd love for people to not ask me a bunch of questions about this on Instagram or something. Like I'll share when I have more to share. Until then, I would say assume that my status quo is I'm continuing on the journey and I'm doing the best and that I'll share when I have more updates here on the show. Until then, leave her alone. <laughs> Just don't want my like ego to be constantly feeling like it's got a – it's an ego fear for sure, right? Like the fear of like, oh my God, am I – if it's not happening soon enough for people's expectations or whatever, or is it going to set me triggered off? Like, oh, it hasn't happened yet. Is that bad? You know, I just like would love people to just kind of like respect that I'm on the process of it and try for themselves to read that book if it's interesting at all. So yeah, thanks for listening. Are you? What are your thoughts, Megan, as someone with glasses or hearing this? Well, the funny thing is, is that as you're talking, oh, I could try this. And then my brain's like, nope, you can't. You have a wedding to shoot on Saturday. Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> you can always try it a little bit. Like now, obviously, I went cold turkey. I'm hardcore about this stuff. I'm the Abrahamster. I'm the one that will go out and be more of like a guinea pig to this stuff. But you can also just do this. Like, let's say for the shooting the wedding, you wear them. And then when you're at home, you don't. When you eat breakfast, you don't need your glasses. Yes. So I'm going to try it little step by step. And then if like headaches or nausea kicks up, I'm going to try to, you know, kind of relax the eyes. Yes. I'm excited. I'm all in. Try reading the book if you're interested. I think that's going to be much more eye-opening to maybe a motivation of why to try it. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I hope this uh, resonates for those it needs to. And if it's not your jam, it's not your jam. Everyone needs to do what's right for them. And there you have it. Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show again, and thank you for listening. If you'd like to send Megan a message, you can do so over on Instagram at PictoryVideo. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C, as in Contacts Lively. For show notes for this episode, head over to JessLively.com slash eyesight. Before I share where I'm going next on my trip, let's talk with Lively Show listener Melissa Joy about her experience with today's sponsor, Squarespace.com. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. A little bird has told me that you have used the Lively discount code for Squarespace and built a site for yourself. Is that true? Yes, it is. Awesome. And you have used it in an unusual way that no one yet on the show has used it. So tell us why you started using Squarespace. So I actually used Squarespace to do my wedding website. And the best part about it was that I used it to do online RSVP so that people could return their name and all of their information for the wedding. What typically happens, correct me if I'm wrong, is that people do that in paper and envelopes and stamps. Yeah, normally, you know, you get an invitation in the mail and it has a return card that people have to remember to fill out and send back. Typically, when you do that, you have the printing costs of the RSVP card and the envelopes, and you have to address everything, and you have to pay for postage. So with all of the different moving parts of planning a wedding, I just decided that it was easier just to do online RSVP. And I pretty much ended up breaking even, if not saving money doing it that way. So why did you choose Squarespace specifically for this? Because it's super easy. It, I, I'm not exaggerating. It took me less than an hour to put everything together for my whole wedding website. And I know that there's tons of free websites out there for wedding stuff, but usually you have like super long domain and no one remembers it. So we got our own unique domain name. 
set everything up in less than an hour, uploaded pictures, connected registry information, did parking information, addresses, and the RSVP, and it was done with, I could mark something off my to-do list. Did you see that there was any difference in terms of getting those RSVPs on the computer versus someone sending it snail mail? Everyone RSVP'd, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that. It's a higher conversion rate, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think. And then the other thing is, is that there's always going to be people who aren't going to RSVP on time. A lot of it was friends or people that are kind of of the computer generation. And it was so easy just to text people a link to the website and be like, can you please RSVP? And they could just access it from their phone. It's super mobile friendly and they could just add the information right there. Everything works and it was over with. You didn't have to call people or track them down or they didn't have to go home and find their RSVP card to send it back. Did it look good? Yeah, it looks super good. And also one thing is that when I first set it up, I picked one of the templates and then later on I got some new engagement pictures and I decided to change the template up and it was super easy to do. I probably changed everything in 10 to 15 minutes. It was exactly the way that I wanted it. It was awesome. It was definitely the best decision I've made in planning my wedding was doing online RSVP. I love that. And what would you say for anyone else who's thinking about possibly doing a website for their wedding as well? Uh, to use Jess's discount code, saves you money and you get a free donate name. Don't worry. Don't make it any more complicated than necessary. <laughs> the templates look great as is, and they look super unique just by adding your own information and pictures to it that you don't really have to worry about anything else. So for anyone else who wants to, whether they're getting married or not, use this code. Feel free to go over to squarespace.com lively. You'll get a free 14-day trial by doing so. And if you like it and want to go forward, use the code LIVELY at checkout to get 10% off of your service. Melissa, it is a joy to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jess. Have a great day. Now for where I'm headed to next, I am staying here in Ann Arbor. And this weekend, this is actually the real reason I came to Ann Arbor in the first place, besides the fact that I do love Ann Arbor, is I am celebrating my friend Vicki Honeyman's wedding celebration. She has recently got married this summer and we are celebrating this exciting new chapter of her life. And I just have to thank her so much for all of the wonderful things she's done for me. She's been like a, I don't know what I would call her, a mentor, second mother, aunt. I'm not really sure how to describe her, but she is the reason I am still in business. She's the one person I asked when I was starting my business if I should keep going because she was the only person I knew at that point of my life that had risked what I had risked. And she told me I had to give it a year. I couldn't end any sooner. So thank you, Vicki, so much for everything you've done for me over the years. And until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. 